Hello, 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 my beautiful goobers. I have an important announcement before the show starts. Better Left Unsaid officially has a Patreon. So if you enjoy the show and want to see it grow, consider subscribing to one of our three tiers. By subscribing, you unlock amazing exclusives like behind-the-scenes clips, early episode releases, and our very own BLU Discord community, where you can chat with fellow buddies, besties, and babes, and help shape the show you love so much. Learn more at patreon.com slash betterleftunsaid. Now, on to the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to Better Left Unsaid. Welcome, welcome. Um, today, I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Al Seeger, um, host of Geekery in General, Musically Challenged, and now, currently, uh, the host of Strange and Interesting. Hi, Al. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Um, so, what what can you tell us about about uh strange and interesting well this is a new podcast i started i have two episodes up right now but it's an episode of or it's a podcast about folklore the paranormal urban legends and things that i happen to find strange and interesting that's i mean yeah you know i live in texas so so half of what goes on especially currently is strange and interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's uh it's been a lot of fun i mean right now i'm just doing the um episodes like once a month because some of the episodes i've done require a lot of research and sometimes i'm mixing in like music and sound effects and stuff like that so just with my schedule i don't always have the time to do it like you know even once every couple weeks i'd like to get to that point it's just you know, again, when you're trying to do the research, you're trying to make sure that, you know, you're writing a script, you're trying to make sure that everything sounds good. It takes a lot of time. I mean, honestly, the the whole comedy interview uh, genre of podcasting, podcasting is definitely the lazy way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, minimal research, if I have anything to say about it. Um, yeah. Well, the sick part about it is I actually kind of enjoy doing the research. When I was doing my Geekery in General podcast on a more regular basis, so that was a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, and geek culture in general. There were some episodes I did called Historical Gaming, where I was took a look at different time periods that usually aren't covered in the works of Dungeons and Dragons. Because in D&D, we're used to seeing the, like a medieval Europe style um, mm-hmm. of adventure. And in the days of second edition, they did release a series called the Historical Reference Series. So that went into different time periods. Like there's one, the Glory of Rome, uh, Age of Heroes, which is ancient Greece, the Vikings. There's one about the Crusades. So those books actually focused on more historical campaigns where if you're going to try to take away a lot of the fantasy stuff. So there was rules in there for, you know, how you might work the different classes. So I did several episodes on that. Uh, I also did a series called Legendary Weapons where I looked up some different weapons from mythology and folklore, in some cases even history, And I tried to write, okay, here is how you might incorporate this game, this weapon into Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) So, yeah, those required a lot of research, but I actually enjoyed it and uh, learned a thing or two while writing them. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, I I know I have done a couple of episodes with a fair amount of research. I had done actually a uh, paranormal episode. (laughs) long long time ago um and i vaguely remember and i'd have to go back i think it's like episode six or seven um someone being abducted and having a very very pleasurable pleasurable sexual experience with aliens (laughs) or at least so they said 
Yeah. Well, that would be unusual because a lot of times, uh, at least with the alien abduction stories that I'm familiar with, usually it's described as being a very traumatic experience. So that's kind of strange hearing where someone, uh, you know, saying it was actually pleasurable. Well, you know, I think some marriages have challenges, others don't. And so if that gets you away, you know, (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was, that was always a fun, fun part of, of doing crazy random topics every episode. Um, But getting into the topic or before we get into the topic, we start every episode of Better Left Unsaid with an embarrassing story. So Al, do you have an embarrassing story for us? Oh, I've had a lot over the years. Some of them I probably shut out. Uh, Some of them are fairly minor. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're chatting with multiple friends on on Facebook and you accidentally send the wrong message to the wrong person. I've had that happen a couple times, but fortunately it's never been anything like too real embarrassing. It was more just like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow at 730 or whatever. Um, as I was saying with one of my friends, it's like, well, at least I wasn't having an intimate conversation with my wife on the other end. That could have been <laughs> awkward. But one embarrassing story I remember from, I'm wanting to say it was either my junior or senior year in high school, but it was near the end of the school year. And it was like mid to late May. I get home from school. I'm tired. It, it may have been when it was still track season. So got home from track practice. I'm tired. I decide lay down, take a nap. Well, I wake up, I look at my clock, you know, it's light outside and I see the clock. It's a little after eight 30 and I, I jump out of bed, get on my shoes. I grab my backpack. I run into the kitchen. I see my mom and I'm like, mom, I need a ride to school now. And she looks at me and I'm like, it's eight 30. She's like, yeah. School starts at eight. I'm late. <laughs> then gave me that look that parents give their children when they realize that they're about to make themselves look like idiots. And she gave me a moment to realize that and catch my breath and realize that it was 8.30 p.m., not a.m. So I still had plenty of time to get to school. Isn't that just the best, though? Like, it's so much better to be early so early to school that you still get a full <laughs> night's rest yes so, <laughs> and i know i've i've had that happen a couple of times where um like i get home from work or whatever i take a nap and you know it's when it's at the time of the year when it's still at least around here it doesn't get dark until around nine you know i wake up i look at my clock and it's like you know seven thirty or eight and i'm like oh crap i think i'm about to be late for work but then again i realize okay it's yeah it's just because it's light out doesn't mean it's morning right i mean i i remember a couple of years back uh i was still working full-time same place i am but we had had an especially long week and it was i think a thursday so i had gone out the night before i was in no way so inebriated that I would come home blackout and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, I got home, was so utterly tired and exhausted that I just laid down on the ground for a second, um, or what I thought was a second, got back up and realized it was 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, wow, the floor was surprisingly comfortable. um i know another situation which i'm sure my dad if he had the chance would probably still give me flack for (laughs) um i went on study abroad for my college program in 2016 i think the summer of 2016 and i had we had already booked the tickets had to fly out to South Korea. Um, Amazing trip. But that morning, it's around 730 in the morning. My parents had already been on my tail about, 
hey, when does your flight leave? When does your flight leave? When does your flight leave? And for me, I don't know if I just read the ticket wrong or whatever, but 11.30 looked very similar to 8.30. (laughs) And so it's about 7.30 in the morning and I start getting texts from my classmates who are also going on this trip. They're like, hey, we're at the airport. Where are you? (laughs) And my face goes white. I run outside and I'm like, we have to go now, right now. Like, we have to go. Um, So I'm shoving all the clothes that I need for like two months in a bag. (laughs) And I'm, I'm grabbing it the whole time. My dad is tearing into me. He's just like, what, what do you mean? You said it was 1130. I was like, I know, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, We made it in time though. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen, or I should say, I don't think I've ever been so scared to be in a car with my father. Uh, before in my life um because speeding is one thing but you know trying to get across this major city in 30 minutes is another oh yeah i can imagine um yes but i mean the largest city i've ever been in is probably chicago and Mm. i've only been caught in chicago rush hour twice in my life and it's not something i'd care to repeat (laughs) right well, I mean, being based in Houston, it may not be the tallest city, but it's definitely the widest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was definitely a fun adventure. Um, but diving into the topics, and you had already sort of uh, mentioned it a bit, we're talking D&D and TRPGs. Yep. So it's, I, I mean, I have uh, been into role-playing games for a very long time. I self-publish games as well. But uh, as far as for me anyway, when I first started, or how I got interested in, in, in them, back in the early 80s, uh, we had older friends and uh, family members who would, uh, I would play Dungeons and Dragons. And sometimes when I was at their house and, you know, they were supposed to be watching me, but, you know, they were playing D&D with their friends and I would watch them. And even though I didn't always know what was going on, I just thought it was interesting. And I eventually did get a couple of the books um, from the basic set. And then I didn't actually start playing on a more regular basis until middle school. So about 88, 89. And I have been into, as I said, I've been into it uh, pretty consistently ever since. Uh, there have been times when I haven't had a chance to play as much as I'd like. Um, like with, uh, and of course, after COVID started. At the right. time, I was playing with some people at our local uh, hobby store, but just because of the COVID conditions, they uh, closed their open gaming area they had. I've done some gaming over Skype, which it works. It fills a need. I still personally, of course, would rather be there sitting around a table with people rolling dice and uh, you know, moving around the miniatures and stuff, but you know, for considering the situations, I was happy with at least being able to game again. Right. I I mean, yeah, I feel that. Um, I know I had, well, I had started, I was pretty young at the time. I was probably 12 or 13. Um, my dad had very much gotten into D&D in second edition and 3.5. Um, and I, I actually, he gave me his big box. It's a big plastic tub of all of his D&D writings and everything, um, which is so great because my dad was very much a DM at heart, a dungeon master. And so I have campaigns that he had written on a typewriter Pages are all yellow and brown now, but uh, I would play his campaigns with him and my siblings and stuff. Um, And I just remember getting in trouble the first time I played because I had harassed uh, one of his NPCs because, you know, 
what's a 12 year old gonna do in a bar when a strange hooded figure is sitting at the bar and we need to ask them questions of course i'm gonna run up and take off their hood and be like tell us what we want to know <laughs> so yeah, of course she would slap me <laughs> so you started with the uh, second edition i did i did yeah um it was a pretty quick transition though going to 3.5 and then on to five yeah because i i started in the days of basic uh, back mm-hmm. when Elf, Dwarf, and Halfling were classes and not races. Um, so that's that's about how far back I go. Um, though as far as the editions, second edition is still my favorite. Uh, currently, yeah. a friend of mine is running a second edition campaign, though unfortunately, because of just schedules working out, we haven't had a chance to game in about a month and a half. But uh, yeah, it's one of the unfortunate things about role-playing games when you're gaming in person is just finding a time for everyone to get together. And there's a meme that goes around Facebook every now and then that I think sums it up perfectly. It, it takes some screenshots from Avengers Endgame. So near the end, when the, uh, they're getting ready to, it's, it's on the planet where uh, Iron Man and Doctor Strange are getting ready to confront Thanos. Right. And uh, Dr. Strange is the, the cap. There's a picture of him and the caption underneath is I just glimpsed into 16 million, some futures. And then Tony Stark is replying. And how many did our schedules line up so we could play D and D Dr. Strange replies only one. <laughs> I, yeah, I very much feel that. I know I have been running a campaign myself uh for about two years now and we have not nearly gone as far as i had hoped yeah there's this one story i don't remember the guy's name but apparently his group has managed to keep a campaign going for like 20 30 years something like that and it's like if i ever meet that guy i gotta ask him what's your secret that you managed to keep your group that together that long (laughs) right i mean also i I wonder, I I feel like I had heard something similar where it's like they kept it going on so long that the characters that they had originally started with had died. And so they they have since like the characters that they play now are like the great grandchildren of their previous characters, which I think is okay. awesome. Yeah, th- and that is cool when you can do that because um, I said, unfortunately, I've never been in a situation where we were able to keep a campaign going that long the longest campaign that i can remember running in recent history or my recently would be it was a marvel superheroes campaign and i was running it at our local hobby store it's probably the most memorable campaign i've ever gamed in because everyone really got into their characters because and not only that, they actually were, they worked really well together as a team. And are you, now, have you ever played the old TSR Marvel superheroes game? I have not. I have not. It, Apologies would, for my dogs, by the way. My oh, no, I, I can't just got That's home. fine. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, there we go. I, I know my wife and son, they might be home in about 40 minutes. So there's a good chance you might hear barking on my end as well. So <laughs> <laughs> comes with the territory with having dogs. Right. But uh, if you are into superhero games, I would highly recommend uh, the Marvel superheroes role-playing game. Um, The version I have, um, it's the revised set. So uh, the one with uh, Spider-Man, She-Hulk and Hulk Wolverine and Captain America on the cover. Yeah. Um, Cause there's like three different versions of the game. There was the, the basic set. Uh, which was released in like, I think, 83 or 84. Then in the later 80s, they released the advanced set, which expanded upon some things. But then in the early 90s, they released the revised set, which I think is the best of the three because it it's simple, but it's still allow, it's still very versatile and allows you to do a lot of stuff. And right. it 
actually encourages you to try to find creative uses for your powers and it makes it really easy to do it. Um, the thing about the system that I think some people find intimidating is there's a chart on the back of the book, uh, right. which is not as, not as bad as it looks. But <laughs> the way the system works is you have different columns and each one has the instead of just giving your abilities a simple numeric score it has a uh, it has a a name for it like mm -hmm. for example um it starts out at poor or i'm sorry feeble at the worst and then it goes uh poor typical which would be something the average person would have good uh excellent remarkable which start to get to the peak levels of human ability and then right. from there, it goes like incredible, amazing, monstrous, unearthly. So those are superhuman um, abilities and it has options to go even higher. And what you do is um, like one of the characters and one of the players, her main power was weather control. Mm -hmm. And so she would try to find lots of interesting ways to use it because while well, some of the aspects of weather, heat, cold, water, uh, wind, and you know, even electricity with, uh, with you know, storms. Right. And so like if she wanted to try something that was unusual, instead of saying, no, you can't do it, I could say, well, you can try doing it, but you're going to take a column shift uh, because I think her weather control ability was incredible so that means that if she was going to do something difficult i might say well take a minus one column shift so she would roll on the net the chart below it right the you know the next rank lower if she was doing something really easy i might give her a a plus one column shift so she rolls uh you know at the next column better in a way i guess you could compare it to the advantage and disadvantage roles from fifth edition i don't yeah. know if you've played that version or not yeah i mean honestly i i would having dm that almost relate it to setting a dc for any average thing where where in fifth edition you're thinking okay how hard is this for the player to do so i'm gonna think of a number in my head and you know yeah. based on that based on the standard range um Honestly, I would I would love a chart like that for for fifth edition D and D just so I wouldn't have to do the numbers. Yeah, and the so the way it would work then is you roll your your die. It's a percentage based system, and then you tell the game master what you got. You consult the chart and find out if it's white, uh, white, green, red, or yellow. Mm -hmm. Um, the white always fails. A green result will succeed for most normal actions. And then a yellow or red result is either a critical success or critical failure, depending on the situation. Right. But it's one of those systems where it's not for everyone because in a lot of role-playing games, you can usually kill something without a, without a penalty. Mm. But since this is a superhero game, and at least during this age of comic books, most superheroes didn't kill. Right. So you were actually penalized quite severely if you killed somebody. In this game, they have something called karma, where you get karma from doing good deeds and you lose karma for doing bad things. You kill someone, you lose all your karma. If you do other unheroic actions like you rob a bank or you damage someone's property, then you lose karma as well. But if you like stop a crime, save someone's life, you gain karma right. and you can use it to get new skills and abilities, but it takes a, a lot of karma to do that. Usually what you do use it for is to improve your roles. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say you're doing something critical, like you've got a doomsday device that's about to go off in the next 10 seconds. And you have to get a yellow result or better in order to disarm it. Well, if the fate of the world is at stake, you're probably going to want to spend karma. Uh, so you would roll the die and then you would, if uh, you didn't get the yellow result, then you would lose enough karma to bring you up to that yellow result. 
So yeah, you lose karma, but you save the world. So I guess that right. kind of balances out. It's so, interesting like, It is. And I, I said, I highly recommend it. Some people call it the face rip system, uh, which face rip is uh, short for the different stats you have. Fighting, agility, uh, strength, endurance, uh, reason, intuition, psyche. And mm -hmm. usually you can find it on eBay for reasonable prices. Uh, generally, maybe 10 to $20, depending on whether it comes in the box and what kind of conditions it's in. But that's probably, it's still one of my, next to second edition D&D &D is probably my favorite role-playing game. Given the sort of popularity of not only D&D &D and other TR, uh, TTRPGs, but also the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how popular all of that has become, do you think it would ever make a comeback with a newer edition? Uh, that's hard to say. I know that after, because I know TSR did make a, another version of the marvel superheroes where it was card based i remember playing a demo of it at gen con and i think i mean i'm not sure if there's any company that is currently making a marvel rpg now i'm sure that wizards of the coast does probably own the rights to that particular system because you know after buying D D, so yeah, it would probably just be a matter of uh, negotiating the licensing rights. And of course, with Marvel now being owned by Disney, it would just be a matter if uh, Wizards would want to, or anyone who wanted to make a Marvel RPG, if they'd be willing to pay those licensing fees. Right. It would be nice, though. Um, it would be interesting to see how they would update it, because the, the a lot of the stats they give for the, the version I have Again, we're looking at the characters from the, when they were in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, what do you think is your favorite aspect of D&D &D and other TRP, TTRPGs? For me, a lot of times it depends on the which game we're talking about. In the case of Marvel, just because it's a lot of fun and I, there's a lot of potential to do cool stuff with your character. Right. But what's even more incredible is the, the rule book I just showed you is 64 pages long. But despite its thin size, it gives you a lot of material to work with. Now, as far as other D&D, I've always loved the social aspect of it, to be honest. Um, I've got many fond memories and many fun gaming stories uh, that, you know, if you want, I could certainly share. But, um, you know, so that's always been a part of it. The thing I like about running D and D is I like crafting the stories mm -hmm. and the uh, and the world for the players to uh, to adventure in. And it's always interesting to see. Okay, here's the problem I'm going to put before you. How are you going to solve it? And sometimes you get a group of players that comes up with, up with a solution you never thought of, but because it's so creative or so original you almost have to let it work just because it was a really cool idea. Right. Um, do you, I mean, do you find yourself DMing more or, or acting as a player more? Lately, I've been playing more than I've been DMing. The only time I've been running games is in the last couple of years, once, um, you know, once COVID start, the restrictions started lifting and conventions started going on again, I have been running uh, games at conventions, most mm -hmm. of them for the, the products that I'm making. So right now, though, I've been taking more of the role of a player as opposed to a DM. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what sort of what sort of characters do you like to play? If we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, I usually like playing more of the fighter, the warrior classes, usually fighters and rangers. Uh, sometimes I play paladins or clerics i've never been as much into the wizard and thief classes uh and i don't know why i mean i do have some friends that wizards are all they play or rogues are all they play but right. i guess i i kind of like just being that you know that warrior that can just get right in there and start you know kicking butt taking names i 
I can relate to that. I know uh, I have never been much of a wizard in D&D all the times I've played characters. A majority of the time, I just end up being a tanky cleric. So I'd, I'd just step into the middle and be, you know, knocking heads while healing everybody around me all at the same time. Um, and I, I remember one of the later times I played with my family, uh, I had, we had been in a situation where we're in some dungeon and there were some undead and it was like the first time I was leveled up high enough to turn undead. And I was so proud of myself and just being like, yes, finally something useful I can do. Um, yeah, I, but I, I feel like I, as a dungeon master, I find myself giving my characters, uh, I very much find myself homebrewing. So I'll give my characters unique things to help not only open up doors for them to do cool stuff, but also sort of balance the gameplay because a lot of them, it's their first time actually playing. And so they didn't exactly choose classes or characters or races based on anything. They were just like, oh, I this character sounds cool. This deity sounds cool to go with this paladin. Um, and I, I always love to see what they end up doing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to see how people create their characters and again, how they folk, how they uh, handle the challenges that you throw at them. As far as for me, I tend to play more of the defensive fighters, mm -hmm. which has a, sometimes drives my game masters crazy because if there is a way to break the de the physical defense system in a role playing game chances are i will find it right one of that campaign i did several years ago uh we uh, i had a character in this second edition campaign i had a character with a negative 2 armor class at first level wearing nothing but leather armor and using a buckler so it drove the DM crazy because usually he could only hit me if he got a critical hit. Right. And uh, it's like that with my fighter in the current campaign where uh, right now my ace, we're like, I think fifth level and my AC is like negative six. So the game, but it's not entirely my fault. Uh, the game master did something that I think he regretted. We had a random encounter with a, like a giant. And we ran into, we went and searched its lair and he decided to do the, let the dice fall where they may when rolling oh, no. up the treasures. And one of the things he rolled up was a set of full plate mail plus three. Dang. And this isn't, and this is like the best plate mail, I think. So it's not the one that normally gives you an armor class of three. I think it gives you a base of like one. And my character already has a really good dex. But my character is the only one in the party who can actually use that armor. Right. So, yeah, I think he kind of regrets. <laughs> I think he kind of regrets giving that to me, but he still manages to hit me every now and then. I know. Uh, yeah, there have there have been a couple times that uh, I have put my players in situations where I really want them to take hits. And sometimes they're a bit squeamish, so they'll like scan back. And I I had one player who was a druid. She was a druid merfolk. And I have never seen someone roll so well on Ice Knife that they were in this battle with this pretty tough uh NPC and she halved his eight he she halved his uh hit points in one attack. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, it's going to be a short battle. <laughs> yeah, I would have to say one of my favorite, and this is, goes back to what I was saying before, that sometimes a player comes with up with a plan that's so creative mm -hmm. and original, you have to let it work. And there is a supplement um, that I have. Well, just a second. Yeah, I, I've got my uh, my shelf of gaming material right over here. So, <laughs> um, 
one of my favorite D&D supplements, Tall Tales of the Wee Folk. Uh, mm. This was back from the days of basic Dungeons and Dragons. They released a series called the Creature Crucible series, where it was how to play different types of monsters as player characters. Right. And again, this was back in the days of basic. So that's when your class and race were the same. Tall Tale, so Tall Tales of the Wee Folk was the first one, which was about um, woodland creatures like centaurs, treants, dryads. Uh, they also had fairy folk like leprechauns, pixies. Brownies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then they had one called the Merfolk or the Sea People, which was, you know, your, your mermaids, your merfolk. Uh, there's also another one, Night Howlers, which was were creatures, and then the last one was Top Ballista, which introduced this floating city. So you, the characters there were like sky gnomes, um, sphinxes, and some really weird stuff. But to get back on track, I apologize. I I I ramble sometimes. I, this, I get off topic. This podcast is about tangents, so I I welcome every single one. Oh, I I'm an expert at that, so trust me. <laughs> but uh, in Tall Tales of the Wee Folk, it the well the way this the Creature Crucibles written is it had two books in it. The first one was a book of you know how to make the characters, new rules, new equipment, new spells, and then it had a second book which was an adventure booklet. Mm-hmm. And in Tall Tales of the Wee Folk, there's an adventure in there called The Lost Seneschal, where it's actually more focused on non-woodland characters. So your normal characters like, you know, a party with a fighter, a thief, a cleric, and a, you know, a dwarf and a, a wizard. And you have to go find this lost tax collector. Well, you find out that he was drawn into this uh, fey realm where he was him and his party were kidnapped by a, a female ogre and well during the adventure you you meet this um this it's a fairy race called a shay they are human sized uh, except they're a little slender they look a little bit more like elves and there's this uh this fey lord that you meet explains where to find him and such but he puts you through different tests and when you uh, go to the tower where the ogress is, that's, you know, the, you find out that uh, he, the, the tax collector is the only one that's still alive. Uh, the ogre ate the rest of his men. So most of the time, get when, the thing I like about this adventure, I have run like five or six different groups through this adventure. Each one found different ways to, to get through it. Now, most of the time with the ogre encounter, they just charge in, swords drawn, spells blazing. They kill the, you know, kill the giant. But one group had a, uh, there was, there was a female player in it. And she said, well, you know, if you're going to get married, you have to have a bachelorette party and he has to have a bachelor party. And I'm like, okay, I'm playing an ogre here. She's just, okay, what's a bat? What's that? And he's like, well, you know. The bachelor, he's got to have his last night of freedom, and you know he gets to go out with the guys, go get a drink at the tavern, and the uh, you know your bachelorette party, you know do, do your hair up really nice and all that, and it's like, yeah, I had to let that plan work. So she, so they, um, you know the the male party members took the the tax collector out, and uh, you know she deceived the ogress and you know escaped so it was just it was funny it was original because like i said most of the time every party that i've taken through that adventure charge in kill the ogre right it it gives very uh seduce the dragon vibes um which i just think is absolutely hysterical um i know i had played a session where uh, we had come, me and my party had come across this bugbear that was in distress and very aggressive. And I had recently, and this was probably one of those items that my dad had uh, rolled that was a bit too overpowered for what, <laughs> what level I was. Um, but it was a helm of speech, so I could understand and speak all uh, 
semi-intelligent to intelligent languages. Um, I think there was a certain time frame. But I, my entire party was like, let's kill it, let's kill it. And I was like, wait, 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 let me talk to it. And I ended up talking to it and helping it and like it, it was freed and it was like, you'll be a hero to the bugbear nation. And then it runs off into <laughs> the woods. Um, well, that ended up coming back because we had been trying to help this wizard, uh, you know, get into this castle where there was an artifact. And of course, the wizard double crossed us and was and was actually, you know, trying to sacrifice people or something. And he comes to our inn hunting us down because we had gone in, gotten the artifact, and we were a bit suspicious of him, so we weren't exactly willing to give it to him. And he ends up deciding to bring, like, six bugbears with him as, like, mercenaries to to come fight us. And so he's at this door at the end, and I'm like, wait, do y'all know me? I'm I'm this character's name and and I'm a hero to the bugbear nation and one of the bugbears goes wait I've heard of you <laughs> we we can't attack this guy he's a hero and they they ditch the wizard <laughs> nice <laughs> and the wizard like turns around and it's like oh oh this is bad I, I'm just gonna go <laughs> yeah that that actually reminded me of something that happened with uh my son he decided he wanted to uh, run a game of D&D. And again, this was like right before COVID. So this was the last time I played at our local hobby store. But uh, he got it. He started getting in with uh, fifth edition. Right. And so I, we ran, I was, I said, okay, how about running keep on the borderlands? Because, you know, it's a classic, it's one of those classic quintessential modules uh, back from the days of, of a uh, basic D&D. I know they released a version in um, second edition called Return to the Borderlands. And uh, there is a fifth edition conversion for it as well. But it's like, well, do I really want to buy the, you know, this this big thick book for like $30, $40 when I already have the adventure? And it, since most of the creatures are standard monsters, right? all we got to do is just look them up in the monster manual. And one of the things in keep on the borderlands is there's uh it takes place at this keep called Castellan keep and not far from it is this place called the caves of chaos there's a few other subplots in the game you can work with as well and there's uh one where there's a tribe of lizard men and he he decided to make it where like there was like a lizard man who took over the tribe and he wanted to wage war on the keep but there were like a few lizard men who weren't quite up for that. You know, they mm -hmm. rather would just be like, okay, leave the human humans aren't bothering us. As long as they stay out of our swamp, we don't care. Right. Um, but the players decided we're going to investigate the lizard men first. And uh, the, I forgot which member of the party it was, but they actually were able to talk to one of the lizard men and they befriended him and they nicknamed him Sir Scales. So he actually <laughs> was uh, was actually very helpful. In, and my son actually played it well, especially considering this was his first time actually running a game of D&D. &D. Right. And, you know, they went in, he they defeated the lizard man that was taking over the tribe and was able to convince the rest of the tribe um, to follow Sir Scales and then... Uh, it, so it actually ended up really well and it was, uh, it was fun, but it, yeah, it's always nice when players decide to do things other than just run in and start hacking down everything. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, taking a more tangent, you know, with the popularity of D and D rising, especially in media, you know, we see it in Stranger Things. We, oh, yeah. you know, Critical Role has made a leap from podcast to you know live stream, which they still do, to fully animated television series, which I've seen parts of it. It's hysterical. Um, but 
now they have the new D&D movie. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, I think I've seen part of it. Uh, the because I've seen the I saw the original D&D movie. Um, I saw the sequel, The Wrath of the Dragon God. I know right. there was another one called The Book of Vile Darkness, but that one, I've only seen a trailer for it, and it looked really good. The problem was, I think it was only released in Europe. So, I mean, I I probably will see it eventually. Right. Um, well, going back to the actual Dungeons & Dragons movie, the one from... Uh, 2000 um i always i grew up watching that which is is so funny to think about because i used to love that movie just because the dragons cgi dragons are cool no matter where you find them um but what do you think they did right in that movie and what do you think they did wrong Ooh, honestly i would say they probably did more that movie they did more wrong i think than right and I think some of it was just really kind of corny where I, the characters really didn't come off as being very likable, in my right. opinion. Probably the only one that really actually came off as a character I kind of liked was the dwarf. Um, the others were just kind of, eh, they were there. Um, <laughs> and then, of oh yeah, then of course there's Thora Birch. It's like, you could take a one of your D and D miniatures and replace her with that in that role, and your D and D miniature probably would be more enthusiastic about that role than she was. <laughs> I yeah. So, but hey, I grew up watching the D and D cartoon on Saturday mornings, so I I can't judge anyone who likes the D and D movie. Right. I mean, I. I grew up watching it, so I, I, there are definitely parts that I absolutely love. Um, there are parts that get a little weird. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lots of like random outbursts of crying. Um, now we're talking about the D and D movie, not the yeah, no, the movie. Okay. The movie. Yeah, because I, I have to say, the part of the movie I did really like was the one where the, uh, and I don't remember the guy's name, but where he was in that thieves guild and he had to go through that maze to, with all the little traps and mm -hmm. stuff. That was actually really good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the rest of the movie was just kind of, eh. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do suggest you watch the trailer for Honor Among okay. Thieves, um, just because it, looks very lively D&D &D. like you could fully imagine people sitting at a table playing these characters um yeah. and with uh Chris Pine literally spending the entire trailer talking himself up just to find out at the end of the trailer that he's the bard <laughs> and, and that's why um is is just great uh yeah. Now, if you want a really good D&D &D movie, have you ever seen any of the gamers movies? Mm -mm, no. Um, well, I've there's like three or four of them, I think. I've only seen the first two. But what's funny about these movies is they were written actually and acted by gamers. So the in the two movies I've seen, it goes back and forth between what the players are doing and what the characters are doing. And sometimes there's that that fourth wall break, but you could easily see stuff like this happening around an actual gaming table. My favorite scene in the first one is uh, the the characters are at an inn and one of them goes to the bar and he's like, sees a guy drinking. He's like, I try to steal his his coin purse. And he's like, OK, roll the dice. He steals his coin purse. I try to steal his dagger. Okay, he steals his dagger. I try to steal his pants while he's still wearing them. And he gets like a critical success. And, you know, they show the player, you know, the character holding up the guy's pants. But while he's doing this, <laughs> the other guys are at a table where they're being confronted by a mercenary that they left for dead. And the thief is like, wait, he doesn't know I'm there, does he? He's like, no, he doesn't. He's like, I'm going to backstab him. And the player or the character pulls out the dagger. 
He's like, well, he's got a lot of hit points. You think a dagger's going to be enough? He's like, yeah, you're right. He pulls out his sword. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I backstab him with a siege crossbow. And the game master's like, you can't backstab one with a someone with a siege crossbow. And he's like, it doesn't say I can't. And, you know, it doesn't say he can't. So they show the character sitting, <laughs> um, <laughs> setting up a siege crossbow. Um, does the backstab gets it rolls a natural twenty, <laughs> and the guy like blows up, like blows to bits. It's it's hilarious. Uh, so, um, the second one is also it actually had a higher budget and cooperation from Wizards of the Coast. So that one is that one's a little better, but I still think the first one has a certain charm to it because it even though it's low budget, right? What are they called? The gamers. The gamers yeah i'll have to um, add it to my list of movies to watch i think the company that makes it is the dead gentleman or something like that i i yeah i i don't remember the, the name of it but i think gentleman is part of the title of the company that makes it but a lot of fun especially if you're into a if you're into role-playing games you will relate to those movies right um so with it becoming more popular, there are people who are nervous to try it. You know, people who have started but still aren't really getting into it. What advice would you give to someone who's new to TTRPGs or D&D? I would say check your local, if there's like a gaming store in your area, that would probably be the best place to start. Now, of course, with a lot of places, COVID restrictions are starting to ease. So there's more game stores that are allowing in-person gaming. That would probably be my recommendation. Because the nice thing about going to a, a game store, you're in a public place. So if you're going to be with, because I know some people are nervous being around strangers, uh, right. especially a stranger's house you've never been to. So with the game store, you're there, you're in the open, you're in a public place. Uh, also, it's nice because, I mean, game books, you know, a lot of them are $40, $50. And nothing is worse than dumping that much money into a book and then finding you don't like the game. So right. if you're gaming in person, usually you can borrow a game, a book from someone and gives you a chance to play it, decide if this is really the kind of game that you want to invest a lot of money in. Um, now, if you're in a situation there were, where there aren't any gaming stores in your area or there aren't any that have a public gaming space, Facebook might be a good place to go because usually you can find um, regional role-playing game groups. Um, I'm actually part of one for a called ARG, which is short for Appleton Area Role Play Adventures and Role Players Guild. So it's... <laughs> you know, my area, um, it's a good way to meet people to game with. So they might be able to point you to places where people are doing either in-person or online gaming. Right. Which, you know, it's nice because, you know, again, especially if you're new and if you don't really know these people gaming over like Skype or um, Zoom or a service like this, you know, is beneficial because at least it gives you that that social interaction and you know, you might not have to go hang around with strangers. Right. I know I had, uh, interacted with a lot of, uh, the Houston gamers. It's a LGBT plus, uh, group and they had actually started a D and D subgroup basically. Okay. So we would meet and all play D and D and, I think I'm, I feel like I made a lot more friends playing D&D &D in that group than actually going to their events. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the fact that there are sources out there is, is especially helpful. Um, I feel like it's also very much, I feel like a lot of people know a person, even if they don't know that person does D&D &D or, you know, plays TTRPGs. I feel like almost everybody does know someone that does play. Um, so the the sources are out there. 
Yeah, and it's it is nice that it's gained more social acceptance because I know you mentioned uh, Stranger Things before, and um, I, I like how in the current season how they bring the satanic panic into it. Right. Um, you know, because uh, I was there, I survived the satanic panic, <laughs> and you know, because one of the things is it is nice that it's gained more social acceptance, and there's celebrities out there that. Uh, are very open about the fact that they're into these games. Um, Vin Diesel comes to mind. I believe uh, Stephen Colbert is um, also a big D&D fan. And I know there's a bunch of others as well. Because back in the day, uh, when I was, sometimes my friends and I would play D&D at school around the lunch table. And, you know, of course, there were people, ha ha, nerd. Um, and then, you know, even earlier, there'd be people, it's like, you tell them, oh, I like playing D&D. They'll be like, you know, what are you like a, a devil worshiper or something like, oh my gosh, you know, something yeah. like that. And um, whereas now, since it's got more popularity, it's, it's no different than telling someone that you like to go fishing. You know, if you tell someone you like to go fishing and if they're not interested, well, then they'll go on their way, but you know, they're not going to look at you strangely but if you if they also like fishing they'll be like oh hey where do you like going fishing and you know what bait do you use where now with D, you tell someone you like role-playing games you know if they don't if they're not interested they'll probably not gonna you know accuse you of being a devil worshiper but if they also like D, might hey what do you what version do you play you know do you play any other games so it is nice to see that it has gotten more acceptance over the years. Yeah, definitely that mainstream. Um, do you have any D and D horror stories? Oh, as far as like, um, well, these are more funny horror stories. Uh, three words: wand of wonder. <laughs> oh no! Um, the are you familiar with wand of wonders or? Uh, maybe vaguely. I may be wrong, well, though. It's a magic item where it's a wand that you don't know what it's going to do. Oh, when you yeah. roll, whenever the wizard uses it, they roll on this table and it might do something useful, like cast a lightning bolt spell, or it might summon a mouse. Um, and, oh, wait, wait, I think you were, when you were saying horror stories, you meant like bad things happening at the game table. No, I am fully, I am fully into this Wand of Wonder story. Okay. So please continue. <laughs> okay. Well, what happened was I had uh there was a group I this was back in my college years. I was running a group of friends through this uh you know through a D and D campaign. One of them got a Wand of Wonder, and every time he used it, always got the useless results. <laughs> and well, one time, well he the party's thief was fighting against some other, um, you know, some enemy. And he's like, what the heck? I'm going to use my wand of wonder. It's probably going to, like I said, summon a mouse or a butterfly or something like that. And what happens, of course, it casts fireball right at the enemy and the thief. So (laughs) that's, that's probably one of my favorite wand of wonder stories. Um, Back in high school, we had a modified version called the wand of a wonder which was an actual it, it was in the uh it was from the module temple of elemental evil which is another one of those classic um like first second ed- actually i think i think that was a second edition adventure but it's it's considered one of those classic quintessential D adventures right and same premise you roll you use it you have no idea what it's going to do and uh, the wizard in our party, we were playing a module called Throne of Bloodstone, where it's for character levels 18 to 100, and you're basically going into the abyss to steal the Wand of Orcus. We were at this one encounter where we were surrounded by a large group of demons, and the wizard was like, guys, I'm using my Wand of a Wonder, and of course everyone's like, no, run away! <laughs> And he used the result where it's like, okay, all of a sudden everyone is stuck in the top of this like 50 foot tall tree. And if my character next, he was a party ranger. Okay, no big deal. Sheath the sword, pull out the bow and twang, twang, twang. But uh, those are probably my two most memorable Wand of Wonder stories. And I 
know I've met other people over the years who've had similar things where just the funny things that can happen when you use this uh, <laughs> this item. Right. I think I think now nowadays I'm sure the Wand of Wonder still exists uh, in fifth edition. Um, but nowadays a good proxy for it is Wild Magic for sorcerers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Everything from your magic just creating blue butterflies or mm -hmm. making your hair fall out or um, casting fireball in your location. Yeah, that's actually one situation where, because uh, I know in second edition, they that's where they introduced the wild mage, where when they cast a spell, there's a chance that something like that might happen. And... um if you are a wild mage, you actually get a little bit of control over the wand of wonder. So if you do roll a useless result or a useful result, that would be bad in the current situation, you might be able to bump it to like a different result. Right. Um, so, but when we're talking about horror stories, there was a campaign I had. This is actually the one that where I was telling you before how I had the character with the insanely low armor class at first level. Yeah. Um, we had our DM for that session was using a critical hit and critical miss table from he got online. I don't know if it was ever published in like Dragon Magazine or some other source, but um, the the party wizard was using a sling staff and he decided to fire into a melee. And he got a critical miss and he ended up instantly the dungeon master rolled on the critical miss chart and ended up killing one of the the party members. So they were able to save him and bring him back. But even though it was an accident, uh, of course it caused a lot of distrust in the party. And, you know, eventually that campaign fell apart. Right. But it did have one fun, that campaign did have one funny moment. That same wizard uh, who accidentally killed the other party member. One encounter player was like, I cast protection and touch myself. And it's like, dude, <laughs> her character Ben that he needs protection to touch. <laughs> I mean, wording is everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, we knew what he meant. He was casting protection from evil on himself, but yeah, he, he could have said that better. Right. Um, honestly, I think some horror stories create some, amazing opportunities mm -hmm. to affect the story in, in interesting ways. I know the druid merfolk that I had mentioned before, she isn't really a part of our group anymore. Um, so I had to utilize her character for other things um, and making her a uh, very, very powerful NPC villain mm -hmm. is definitely uh a way for certain people in my party to get out their frustrations at a lost friend um <laughs> and also using a very powerful character to do some massive damage and torment my players a little bit because i love that yeah we've i don't actually know there was one campaign it wasn't dungeons and dragons but it was a fantasy game where we did turn uh, one of our our friends player character former player characters into the last boss and of course he was he was playing in that campaign but he wasn't running it uh naturally he wasn't happy about it but yeah it still ended up well right um but yeah thank you so much for joining me welcome thank you for evening. having me this has been fantastic um I always give my guests an opportunity. Please, wording is everything. Plug yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my podcast, I am just recently moved back to my old podcast platform. Um, for a while, I was on Anchor.fm, mm -hmm. but the people I was podcasting with, um, Eclectic Media Podcasts, uh, the, they decided they, they weren't going to do podcasting anymore. So I'm back on my original place, which is Podbean. So you can look up Point of Insanity, Point of Insanity Network, which is um, at poigamestudio.podbean.com. 
Um, so that's where I'm doing my new episodes of Strange and Interesting. I also have another podcast I hope to start resuming called Creepy Pasta Theater, where I do narrations of creepy pastas from uh, the Wikia site, or sometimes I have my own original uh, creepy pastas I do as well. Uh, also, you can find me at POI Game Studio on Twitter. Uh, you can look up Point of Insanity Game Studio on you on um on uh, Facebook. My website is POIGamestudio.com. Uh, so yeah, feel free to check out my uh, material. I have I do occasional YouTube videos. I have music I make that I put up on YouTube and you know other places. Uh, then of course I'm doing my podcasts and uh, write my role playing games. So check them out. Fantastic. Um, and all those links will be in the show notes for all of uh, you beautiful blue babes to check out. Um, but if y'all do want to find uh, Better Left Unsaid on social media, you can find us on Instagram at BL underscore unsaid. You can find us on Twitter at BL unsaid podcast. And please, please, please share the podcast and leave reviews, leave stars, uh, five stars preferably. If you do hate us and you do want to leave one star, you can send that directly via email along with any uh, of your own personal and various sing stories or episode themes to blunsaid.podcast at gmail.com. Any one stars, just send them there. Don't I won't see it if it's on Apple Podcasts. Just send a big one star via email. Okay. Don't don't waste your time on Apple Podcasts leaving a one star. But thank you all for joining us very much. Thank you, Al, for joining us. Mm -hmm. And I hope y'all have a good night. Bye.